0: And three hundred and sixty-five day returns.
1: How are we doing, gents? Hope everyone's well at home. You all right? Comfy, yeah. Chris? I'm comfy. You don't look very comfy. No, <laughs>
2: looks like a little Gregory Peck, doesn't it? <laughs> I'm all right. Yeah, 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 I'm all right.
1: You have to excuse the background noise. We're we're pre live Middlesbrough. show, Middlesbrough, and uh, there's karaoke going on across the road. He seems. I, I think he's on the cusp of getting a rock, record contract over yeah. there.
3: Uh, He's ruined it for me, he started off well and he's just gone hell for
2: leather and ruined it, very near, nasal, hours of screaming,
1: yeah, Mm. hope everybody's well, Malcolm Christie part two,
2: yeah, a little bit of a different theme to it this week,
1: completely different to part one but emotional I feel is the the right word to use,
3: part one was very good,
1: yeah, Uh, just the way that his career went thereafter, I think we said Malcolm Christie was one of them for me, remember him and then what happened what happened to Malcolm Christie? And uh, he reveals all.
2: Yeah, sad. I wondering why I never got the short memo.
1: Well, my
2: jeans are over there.
1: Oh, mine are as well. Are me, this, this is, is, me the... is my travelling attire. Oh, is it? Yeah. This is
2: pre-show, John. Pre-show
1: yeah, oh, comfort. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm not going out like this. Look, it's dear to me.
3: <laughs> You're getting changed as well, as well aren't you?
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> oh... I had possibly the worst day of my life oh my God. on Thursday. What? What? I'm not he even joking. It can't keep happening, Karen. I'm not even joking. He's got a better mem-
2: he's, got a, he's got a better imagination, him, than Honestly. Me J.K. Rowling. What was the... So we had the live show Wednesday? Yeah. Yeah. What's happened on Thursday.
1: I got home. We went out in the afternoon. Rose got a bag of crisps. They, I don't know what they were. They were some wheat things. And she put them on side, and they were there for a, for a couple of hours. They'd gone soft, but they were them that are still nice soft. You know, like this you can still eat them. I thought, oh, I'll tidy up a bit round the house. So I got a carrier bag. You know, you get a carrier bag and hanging on the cupboard door. Yeah. For pottering around and chucking stuff in. And I come back down. I went upstairs doing a few bits. I come back down. This bag of crisps were in the bin. So I thought, oh, did you chuck them away for? So I got them back out again, waited. So I thought, oh, there's still some in. So in one swift motion, I've put them in my hand, straight in the mouth.
2: Cat litter. Chewing.
1: In my teeth on this side, it's crumbly, but soft at the same time. It's got a strange texture. So I was like, what's that? I've run at sink, spat out, brown. And she's gone into utility room. Cat's come out at litter and shit's fallen off him. She's put it in Chris' bag and chucked it in pin. It rolled in my teeth. Oh, I ran no. upstairs. I've never scrubbed my teeth so much in my life. Oh, well, really. cat shit. I, I was chewing on cat shit.
2: What was it like on the palate?
1: Oh, it Tears, wasn't nice. It? it wasn't nice. It was wheat, wheaty. I get a bit like the crisp, but no.
2: That's up, that's up there where the most filthy. That's horrible, ever. isn't it? I feel like there's more to come. No, not yeah, I, I wouldn't say that would be the worst day in your no. life. Maybe no. about 10 minutes, but I not the worst day in your che- life. Chewing
1: on a shit. <laughs>
2: yeah. But not the worst day of your life. You've had worse experiences than that, surely. I don't know. We also got
3: the picture sent through of um, your mate from who got clattered.
2: or oh, the, the the lad who got
1: battered and bruised. Yeah. Have we? Have we got, have we got the picture? put it in the group. Did
3: yeah. you? Yeah. Oh, can have, oh, have it
1: popping up on screen?
3: He said he didn't get hit in the nose. It was on the back of the head. I don't like the truth
2: getting exactly. away with story. Are
1: you looking forward to tonight?
2: Yeah, yeah. You look smart, John. Oh. I've never That's seen you so as smart. smart. Double denim? It's not denim, is it? It's a cotton shirt. It's, double denim, it's a right? linen cotton blend, Chris. Is it? <laughs> for the for the audio viewers, I'm just smiling, <laughs> <laughs> smirking. Last one in it. Uh, yeah, yeah, the, the last, last live show. show. We, both, Although, we have to we have to say a little bit on for the queen, are not we? You want to do a speech? Begin? No, but obviously just terrible news, isn't it? God save the king. I don't know. Have you seen his fingers? <laughs> he, has, he has got. He has got a very. In. He's got a very strange Judge Windows. I've laughed at him a lot. A little bit like though Somebody's pumped his hands up. You do look <laughs> like a full a full pack of Richmond. And that and that what? that ring on his little finger. It honestly it must must hurt. It's tight. Is it? like yeah. tight as in stopping circulation? Tight. Gout. That. Too much rich living. You think? Mm. But uh, yeah, God save the king. Oh, we have crest. got we
1: have got another live show coming up, have not we? It's
2: just. Oh, ah, yeah, we have actually, yeah. Homecoming
1: yeah. hey, I tell you what I'm looking I'm looking forward to checking out a for afterwards
2: uh, Sunday night Ooh. I don't know what's happened Sunday nights now but yeah we're doing a, a show at the Garrison in Barnsley so one extra show I did Barnsley what date John? 13th of November Sunday night Jerry Taggart Mr. Jerry Taggart so I, 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 to be fair I think Taggs has been as as best guest.
1: yeah so goodbye. it'll be a good one we'll put the link in the description if you can make your way to Barnsley then come on down Or if you live in Barnsley, and we keep getting a bit of
2: um,
3: pressure from Ireland, don't we, lads? When the fuck are you coming to Dublin? So we might have to get one. Unfortunately, we might have to book a weekend away in December and get one in over there.
2: Sorry, love its work. (laughs) What can we do? (laughs) Give people what they want. Uh, we might not make football, but off it. But we'll have a good bl- bloody bl- kicking ball, won't <laughs> we? Okay. Should we get Malcolm in?
1: Yeah, yes. let's get him For in. Part two. Um, if you've not already subscribed to the YouTube channel, by the way, please do. That'd be nice. Yeah, the percentages are coming down. What was that? Yeah. What was that fact you pulled out? Only fifty percent of the people uh, viewers watching. are subscribed. So if you're watching and you're not subscribed, just sort your shit it out. Don't cost you no, does it? No, no. You just have to press a button. Oh, one click,
2: yeah, yeah. One and then click. when a
1: new, and you can press that little bell button apparently. You press that, and it tells you every time we get a new, a so you new get notifications, in yeah, that. yeah. No brainer, innit? Yeah, straight on it,
2: right? Let's get Malcolm Go out. On
1: Talking about that, um, Man United being a massive fan and everything, one mm. of the highlights of your mm. career must have been. Because the, the, we talk about that season before, mm. Derby on the of relegation, mm. got to go mm. to Old Trafford, mm. not expected to get anything.
4: Yeah, well, but, it, is, it is the highlight of my career. There's no, there's no taking back. And I think that, I suppose you guys will understand, you know, talking the way that I got into football and maybe that, you know, sliding doors moment where I could have been a Manchester United fan sitting in the Stretford end watching you know, that game as a fan, you know, mm-hmm. there's a reality yeah. of what potentially that could have happened. And then fast forward, um, you know, two two years, two, three years later, that, you know, we've got to go to Old Trafford with a depleted Derby County team, which we had and get a result, it was just like my dream game, my dream moment. It's rather Rover right it, stuff, really. It, it, it? Yeah, it is a, a bit, and, it. and like, I, I remember in the... In the United were being presented with the league trophy that day as well. So it was a bit of a, you can imagine that the atmosphere is crowded. crowded. (laughs) No, it's like, (laughs) by then. No, I was like, obviously I was a Derby fan by that point. I'd sort of switched allegiances a little bit. Um, You know, I didn't have the posters up in the bedroom wall or anything like that. (laughs) So, you know, for me to, I never forget, like they put the team sheet up, uh, the Man U team up. And I remember looking at that team and thinking, we can beat these weird, because like, I would never have dreamt of saying that because they just, they, they rested a few of the players. Um, Bartes was in goal. They had Ronnie Wallwork at the back. Michael Stewart was playing. Um, but they did have in the, t- they had Andy Cole, Teddy Sheringham. So they had, they had like a mixture of, of players. David Beckham was playing as well. Um, and I just remember putting the team sheet up and thinking, we can beat these. And I think everybody has sort of felt that as well. And, And the game sort of panned out for me, you know, perfectly. Uh, You know, if if you'd have said to me before that match that we were going to win 1-0 and I was going to score the only goal scoring in the Stretford end. It's strange in a way that that, that I look back and have that as my special moment because it wasn't wasn't winning anything as as such, you know, I've got Roy Keane in here thinking, "Oh, we're celebrating oh,
0: avoiding relegation." Not, you know, it's he's, he's <laughs> hell, isn't it? You know what I mean? But we did it.
4: It was just—it was an incredible, incredible day. My parents, again, when I, I was reflect back how they were thinking and feeling, were in the crowd, and I, as a Manchester United fan, still inside of me, I got applauded off the pitch at the end of the match by all the United fans as well. Um, I mean, I'll probably get reminded, you know, if you type in my name on YouTube or whatever, it will come up the miss that I had. I had like an unbelievable, unbelievable chance to make it 2-0 second half. Lee Morris, King Clancy played the ball through. Lee Morris pulled the ball back. I was probably from here, Brownie to you, goal there, all got played along and I fucking put it wide. I'd have done the same, don't worry about (laughs) it. And then afterwards, people were like, oh, what what about the miss? (laughs) What about the goal? Sorry. What, what, what about what about oh what a terrible miss that is what ter- I went well have a look at the final score of that match and and let me know about that because honestly after the game after the game i got more people talking to me about the miss than I did the goal weird you know even now like I say people sometimes oh what, what, what about the miss what about who cares about the miss who cares I mean I shouldn't even be talking about it I shouldn't even be bringing it up <laughs> yeah. but I am <laughs>
3: we have loads of people asking about the, uh, the hat trick that never was as well yeah
4: and I still don't think it was a foul. Is this the season after? Uh, yeah. Yeah, so Jim Smith had left. John Gregory had took over. John Gregory, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is there any, any opinions of John Gregory? <laughs> we've had a couple. We've heard yeah. some
1: tales about John Gregory. <laughs>
4: yeah. I like First that. impressions. I, I, I loved him. Yeah? Yeah, I really, really. He was like what we needed at that time. We'd been so used to Jim and his... Ways and his demeanour. Colin Todd took over. Bear in mind, Colin was Jim's assistant who took all the training anyway. So nothing changed really. Same shit, different bucket kind of thing. Yeah. So Um, then he left. Then Billy McEwen took over for a short period of time. Well, Billy was the coach anyway. (laughs) So nothing changed there. Then suddenly, obviously Gregory left Villa and then we, I can't get Greg. I mean, Gregory was like quite a big name manager. Next England manager, yeah. 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 So like I was thinking, nah, he ain't going to come. Then I think, oh, he used to play, mind you, he was an ex-Derby player, wasn't he? So then he got linked and he came in and I'm thinking, fucking hell, that's, that is a good, that is a good sign-in for us, that. Really, really good. Honestly, he was a breath of fresh air. Yeah. I, I loved his training sessions. I loved his whole demeanour. I loved how he used to turn up for training. This in the for best you is only your
1: second ever yeah. manager. He turned really. up in the
4: best car and he got out the car and he was immaculate. His air was immaculate. He <laughs> smelled nice, his clothes. And I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's how a Premier League manager needs to be. You know, obviously, some people would look at that and go, what a dick. Yeah. What a di- what a knob. Oh, look, look at him. Thinks he's, you know, used to join him with training and everyone tried to kick him. Do you know what I mean? Because he still thought he could, and he could still play in all fairness, but I, I really liked him. I thought he was a breath of fresh air, exactly what we needed at the time. And do you know what? He got everybody in. Got everybody in straight away. And he basically bullshitted everyone. He told, well, he told him how good they were. He told me how good I was. I went in there and he sat me down. I thought, well, fucking hell. I'm looking around the, this was this was Jim Smith's office. I was like, fucking, someone else is sat there. I was thinking the only time I've ever been in here is for a fucking bollocking, <laughs> right? So there I am, sat there, and he went, "Do you know what? I really rate you as a player." So I fucking straight away, like that, you oh, know? Okay, there's not a lot of difference between you and Michael Owen. I'm like, oh, fucking what? Bear in mind, Owen's just won the Ballon d'Or. <laughs> I went. I went. Okay, right. He said, "Do you know the difference between you and Owen?" I went. I felt like saying about 30 fucking goals. <laughs> but, um, he went, he's got Steven Gerrard, right? And I was I, I fucking looking, expecting fucking Gerrard to fucking pop in the fucking <laughs> are, we? are we excited? <laughs> so he <laughs> went, if we can get the ammunition into you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you will you will play and score like Michael Owen. Oh, I was fucking sat there and you can imagine, I I fucking walked out of that room and I thought, fucking hell, if there was a brick wall there, I would have fucking smashed through it for him. <laughs> and he wears all Honestly, honestly yeah, yeah. So... <laughs> He, and he, do you know what I'd, I'd heard him say um, I've heard him in an interview afterwards His time actually that he, he said do you know what these players need they just need to be told how good they are how, how special they are confidence Conf- and do you know what everyone in the team um, he did the same to Lee Morris no Lee Morris Jim Smith did not trust Lee he would not play him for whatever reason he had a few injuries again he told the same bullshit to Lee yeah told him wow. how good he was and it just transformed us all. We were all went out there. And I don't think we ever had that. He, yet? he sort of did it a bit sneaky. Do you know what I mean? He didn't like, we weren't stood out inside his office going, right, you're next in. <laughs> do you know what I mean? We were like, what did he, what did he say to you? He told me I was really good. Oh, did he said, i oh, fucking lie. Do you know what I mean? So he was like, he did it really, really clever. So he got people in at different stages and he just told everybody how good they were. And you know what? We went out, we had Tottenham first game. Tottenham were a decent team, Prem. And uh, we beat them 1-0. First game, and there was he scored the goal. He was fucking jumping down the touchline, Gregory, <laughs> yeah, in front of the Derby fans, yeah, fucking like this. And you know what? I think, wow, what a transformation this is. So that was gone along that time. So we've had a few little results, and we need. We obviously we had Manu come to Old uh, to, to Pride Park, so we were still in the relegation mile. He took over when we were in the shit, so he was trying to come in to save us. If he'd have come in. Before, when Jim Smith got the sack, I know he, that's irrelevant because he was at Villa, but if he'd have come in then, I think in the October when Jim got the sack, if he'd have come in then, we'd have stayed up, 100%. But he came in too late after the Colin Todd experience. Colin, we ended up getting thumped left, right and centre when Colin come in. And then took over too late, had some good performances, culminating in, I think that performance that a lot of Derby fans remember because Man United came to us, they were going for the league with Arsenal. So they had their full shebang out, you know, all the, all the players, Van Nistelrooy, Solskjaer, Veron, Keane, um, Skulls, Giggs, it was the proper, proper team. And again, no one gave us a real hope, but we, again, we just felt like we could maybe full house, live on sky, Um, And yeah, the game for me, you know, I scored two goals. It was 2-2. I ended up equalising with about 12 minutes to go, make it 2-2. And I think in injury time, Branco Strupa took a shot. Bartez comes out, spills it straight in front. There's me. I'm already charging in towards him. Bang, straight at the same time. Go in. Ball comes out. Take a little touch. And I pit it in outside of my right foot into the, into the goal. Fucking place. <laughs> Rups. Fucking hell. 3-2. Got fucking hat-trick. First time ever a hat-trick against Manu in the Premier League because I knew the stats, mine, because I was a <laughs> like fucking Manu fan. Like, there I am. I thought, before I'm going to celebrate, like, fucking look round, make sure it's at the goal, make sure it's a goal. I look round and the referee's fucking pointing down there where, the, where Barthez was. I was like, oh my God, I do not believe it. Gutted, absolutely devastated. You know, they bang the cameras, don't they? Straight away, you come off the pitch. "Oh, Oh, what about that? I was like, oh, well, you know... Um you yeah, know just one of them things and yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> you know media training paid off again you know we we went in there at the same time and you know a bit of oh, fucking inside I was going oh I do not bloody bloody believer obviously gregory came out and he was going ah oh, biased decision if that had been at the strength end of old Trafford I know what would have been given ferguson come out didn't he, he said christie's goals fine not not a problem with that it was a goal um and obviously to where For alex ferguson my like Oh, messiah. My Messiah, my God. You know, it's the first time I, and only time and I've got it on camera. Like he said my name, do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> We're like, like in the fan more. Yeah, yeah, incredible. <laughs> because I'd always, you know, that Man United link runs, that theme runs through and I never forget, I'd always, I'd had that scout come and watch me, remember at it in its Borough where it's Man United scout was there, but it was like nothing ever materialised. And I always, always wanted to be linked with Man U. No matter where I want somewhere along the line, and I never forget it, I've still got the cuttings because my dad kept the clippings, even to this day. So if I played well and scored, he wouldn't just buy the Daily Mail, he'd buy the Express, the Star, the Sun. <laughs> get the lot. He got the fucking lot, right? So he'd go down the news he'd get the lot. i never forget it. It was in the newspaper. I think it was around about 2002. We, just, we got relegated and it said, Ferguson in for Gabrielle Battistuta. Argentina. I was reading it. Fucking hell. Okay, yeah. And if that one doesn't fall through, then, then he's interested in Derby's Malcolm Christie. I was like, fucking, I'm going to man you. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, daily stay, you know when it's like it, 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 it's so obscure as you can get you know like the transfer rumours you know when you sort of get obscure I was like oh fucking hell I'm going to Man U here. <laughs> do you know what I mean it's like, and I've still got that clipping to the day and that's, that's as close as i probably ever got to, to joining Man U is having that newspaper clipping but to hear Alex Ferguson say my name and I'd always wanted you know or dreamt that somewhere along the line I would affect play my part in them possibly potentially not winning the league but you know uh, by that stage you know, it wasn't really. It was. It was Derby County was running through my blood, really. So, you know, I was, I was, I was in love with that club rather than Man U.
1: Feeling so connected to the club, like you said, but almost like a fan. How, oh. how did? How was the relegation then? Was it something you took personally?
4: Yes. Yeah. Because, but I suppose it's the one regret that I have in my time that I never played in a successful Derby County team. When I got into the team, it was struggle, struggle. Relegation. So when we reflect back at the time, I suppose, their memories for Derby County fans are incredible. Do you know what I mean? Where are they, look where they are now, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? League one, have they even got an existence at the moment with what's going on. So them fans look must look back and think, wow, what an incredible time that was to be part of the club. And, and that's why I suppose many fans fondly remember them times of being good times, but yeah, to get relegated it was, it was really, really hard to take because the the, hard, the hardest of it was everyone expected us to be promoted the next season because of the players we had, right? And everyone went, oh, we, we got, oh, we get up straight away. Fucking hell, got, got up straight away. They, they nearly got relegated the next season. So what they, they thought, they'll keep all their players, me included, Chris, sold a few when the, the financial difficulties kicked in that following season, changing a losing mentality to a winning one's f- almost imp- i felt that really hard it, it happens quite regularly right that the, the teams that come down from the prem struggle again. struggle some bounce back yeah. and we and we when we had a target on our back because of the players we had like obviously I stayed Ravanelli, Ravanelli stayed we had we had kind of big name players in there that everyone and everyone wanted to come to pride park yeah because it was a, we'd been in the prem for like what by that stage like five or six years so it was like everyone wanted to come you Stout. know and you know and we were going to some and we'd i think as players become acclimatized to go into these nice stadiums mm. you know the old traffords man you know liverpools you know suddenly we'll go into like rotherham gillingham fucking getting changed in porter cabins and shit you know yeah. what I mean? brighton at the with dean and it was just a sort and like we're having players around us who weren't maybe acclimatised to what that was going to bring. Can't imagine
1: Fibitzio enjoying nah, the portage. I don't
4: know. And it just mm. it just didn't it didn't work out in any way, shape, or form. And and obviously oh, I would have been had been touted right. to leave the club during that relegation sort of summer as such, um, which didn't happen. Um I should have gone to Middlesbrough during that summer, but didn't. Um I ended up going out with England under 21s at the time uh, to the European <coughs> Championships 2002 and um, didn't kick a ball. So I was out there, uh, the center forwards at the time with Defoe and Crouch. So I went out there finishing that season thinking, right, I'm going to go to England under 21s. Bear in mind, I'd been involved in all the qualifiers, pretty much, come on a sub, started a few of the games. Thought, right, go out here, fucking shop window, similarly where I'd been like at the Neaton Borough. Mm. All the scouts there from all the Prem clubs, I'd go there, play and do really well. Bear in mind as well that um, I'd been tapped up previous by Steve Round, who had came to my house at the end of that season. He was assistant at Middlesbrough. We just knocked on. Yeah, just knocked on the door <laughs> after one of the games. Turned up, opened the door. It's Steve Round here. Okay, what's he doing here? Bear in mind, I'm... Derby County player, and he's Middlesbrough's assistant manager, I think at the time. Do you want to come up to Middlesbrough and have a look round? I'm thinking, hey, is that allowed? Is that supposed to happen? But um, obviously at the time he said, look, we're interested in signing you. You know, we want to show you around the things. We'll show you, you know, the places you can live, the training ground. We'll come and meet Steve, or you already know, but we're going to have a chat with him. I was like, oh, it's a bit uneasy. Like, bring your dad up if you want, yeah. So we 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 ended up, anyway, we ended up going up the road to uh, to meet Steve. Uh, he showed us round. I was seduced straight away by the training ground. I in mind, I was used to a derelict Ram Arena as such, which was on Rainsway in Derby. So this was a state-of-the-art facility, changing rooms, padded seats, your own locker. Like, wow, hydrotherapy stuff, hot tubs, 3G, 4G pitches. Wow, this is amazing. Like, almost like, on cue walking me down into Steve McLaren's office, like sit me down there. Yeah, we've uh, we've put a bid in for you. Um, this was at the end of the season, mind. This is at the end of the season. Uh, and we're just waiting for Derby to come back. They've come back. Um, they want nine million pound for you. Fucking hell, nine million. Bear in mind, I've just been relegated. He said, we've bid six and at the moment, that's where we're gonna, we're, we're not really gonna look to go anymore, but you get yourself away with England and come back and we'll see where we're at. I was thinking, bloody hell, six million. million—it's a fucking lot of money. You know, considering where I was a few yeah. years earlier. And you're still on your three grand a week. Yep. So go away um, with England. Didn't kick a ball. Massimo Macaroni played for Italy in the tournament. This it is Italy's <laughs> and the tournament's top scorer. Italy win the trophy. Guess who rocks up, rocks up at Middlesbrough. Up Middlesbrough? Guess who rocks up at Middlesbrough? Eight million pound. <sighs> <sighs> My move. My transfer, devastated. Did, you, did anybody speak to you from Middlesbrough? On why? They just said, yeah, I'd spoke to Steve McLaren and he just said they'd gone for another target, but sit firm. we will we'll, still we'll, interest. the re- Transfer window closes. This is when the transfer windows are out at this time. And then, so I go into that new season with Derby. You can see, yeah, I'm, yeah, you know, I'm, yeah, Derby, we're going to get back up, but. You know, there was yeah, obviously yeah, part of me really that nice. I'm watching, you know, Middlesbrough start of the season. I'm thinking, are they scoring? Is Massimo Macaroni hit the ground running? Yeah. You know, is he is he doing that or not? And then, you know, I we struggled straight away. I, I did okay. I scored, I think, up until that January transfer window. I'd scored eight goals, I think it was, up to the transfer window. So I hadn't set the world alight, but I was the only one that was really scoring in that team as well. So my name was still there. Um, and... It came towards the end of the transfer window and the club were, Middlesbrough, were again wanting to sign me. Derby County, poor business obviously, because I ended up signing for for Middlesbrough. Both me and Chris signed for three million pound, the pair of us, in the January, because Derby needed the money. It unraveled massively. The financial state of the club, obviously, they're not in a position now, are they? But. It unravelled very, very quickly after they got down. As soon as they realised yeah. they weren't going to get back up straight away, then yeah. boom, panic button, everyone mm. got sold. Danny Higginbottom got sold. Yeah. Poom got sold. Seth Johnson got sold previous. But, and then me and Chris went... They put all the chips on getting back up straight away. Yeah. And they just narrowly they narrowly avoided relegation. Mm. Yeah, so I went into Middlesbrough. Like, I'd gone from potentially, if I'd have played... I know, if I'd have played for England, I know, if, if I'd have played for England and done well, that move would have been mine. Mm.
3: Yeah. And
4: I would have gone into Middlesbrough as a club record signing and my, my life and career might have, I know it's all coulda, shoulda, woulda, might have taken a different direction. I signed into Middlesbrough almost like a little bit of an afterthought, a little bit, a little bit, on transfer deadline day and they signed Michael Ricketts on the same day. And bear in mind, Michael Ricketts was probably, in stature at that time, bigger name than me. Played for England, Bolton scored goals, Prem. But anyway... Do you automatically
1: feel like you were quite... You were down on the pecking order coming into... A little no, bit, yeah. Cool.
4: It, just didn't, some of it just didn't feel right about that Michael Ricketts transfer. Don't necessarily think it was needed. I mean, it didn't set the world no. alight at all, but I, mean, I didn't, in all fairness. but So I went in, not really mentally, we're where right. I could have at the start, because the first game was away at Liverpool... And I was on the bench, Ricketts was playing. I was like, this is not what, this is not how, you? how yeah. I it it wasn't it the you it. Yeah, that
1: yeah, you wanted on
4: arrival.
2: See, this is where I'm going back to, I'm, when I know about this bid, I'm leaving England, because I'm not playing anyway, I'm leaving England and I'm going to knock on the chairman's door at Derby and same as uh, Malin Airwood, I'm going to shit on his desk. <laughs> I'm going to do everything
4: I can to make that move happen but but you see where I was at as well I was so flattered as well that they wanted to keep me and and I felt I felt a little bit on my shoulders that I was part of that team that got relegated that if they viewed me so highly I needed to show that club that I could be the man to fire them back up into the top division so, so
2: my next thing is well Derby I want a new contract so I'm on 3,000 minus 25% so you're on 2,250 quid a week You'll think I'm worth nine million quid. I want paying as a nine million pound player.
4: Have you Fuck ever you. thought about becoming an agent? And have, <laughs> I'd have loved you to have been my agent. At the time. You're absolutely right. Absolutely right. If the club views me as a six to nine million pound player, I was not being paid a six to nine million pound exactly. player. Exactly. And, absolutely and that, not.
2: And as your agent, I'm telling you to go in pre-season and kick every football as far as you can. Ruin the sessions. That might not be in your nature, but the amount of money that you're going to end up getting paid, you can be anything, can't you? you, you can be, if you want to be a prick, you can be a prick.
4: Yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's times when I look back and reflect back that that I, I wish possibly things were different in that side of things. Definitely financially, because when they negotiated my Middlesbrough contract, Keith Lamb, who was the chief executive at the time, my agent came in and said, they've offered you less than you at Derby. I was like that. I cannot, be, you what? That they the first con, you know we was about that first contract offer they'd offered me and I felt reme- I remember thinking massively massively insulted and yeah so we went in me and Chris so he, he was Chris's agent as well so he ended up negotiating I think the same contract me and Chris which again I thought that maybe Chris was a defender I was an attacker what's the hardest position to play in the, the teams probably centre forward I probably would have thought that uh, we ended up signing the same contract I, I knew that because obviously I spoke to Chris um, about that. So I ended up signing a contract at Borough for the first six months. So for the remainder of that season, signed in the January, that was be paid five grand a week for the first six months. And then after that, it would be um, 12 grand rising every year until I left about 500 pound every year. I, w- I was content with that contract.
2: See, that's an incredible contract, but that's not a contract. You're not signing that contract if you're getting bought for... Six, seven million quid no. as the no, record not- signing.
4: You're probably double that. Mm-hmm. Oh, at least. At least. I would I would say I was, even at that level, I was probably one of the lowest paid players in that Middlesbrough dressing room. Do you think- Pretty sure. Mm-hmm. The,
1: the, with the move coming in January and Michael Ricketts being signed and everything yeah. at the same time, do you think you would have been a better player coming into Middlesbrough if it had, a, and it's probably an ego thing- if there had been that more of a fanfare and you were coming in as an eight as the eight million pound signing, if you'd have got the contract, if you were it, it, you were coming in
2: as a, a big signing, the main man,
4: yeah, yeah. you'd feel it, was it almost that, a bit That's a that's, 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 a, that's a tough question to answer because I didn't, but I think I would have loved that. Come on, where I've come from and where I've been, if I was signing as a record signing in a Premier League striker, a, a big successful a, a club big at the club, time. God,
1: and it's all ball tickling,
4: isn't it? But you know, I, I, look. That's why I said that that was that was a moment where, for me, decisions. You know, and there were decisions out of my hand in many respects. You know, David Platt didn't pick me for England. I didn't play Macaro. You know, it was all these all little things that happened. You know, conspired for me not moving in that summer, but then then affected me and and my sort of mental side of things as well. Going in there, feeling like I was playing a little bit of second fiddle to people. You know. You can imagine how I felt towards Macaroni a little bit, thinking, oh, you fucker, mm, you know, yeah. you bastard, you shouldn't be here, it should be me. Do you yeah, know what I mean? A, There's that, what I'm you know, really. thinking macaroni, and I'm thinking, Macaroni, what was he on? What, what was he I don't know, 50, 60 grand a week? I don't know. Like, no idea. But I mean, we did not really talk about them sort of things, but it would have been a lot more than I was on. Um, so yes, when you say, oh yes, it was a good contract, but bear in mind at the end of that fourth year at Middlesbrough that I was not to earn another penny other than a few grand at Leeds when I had retired, that that was to be the end of it. Mm. This, thing, this is think. what I
2: mean. Do you know when you're at Derby, no matter how much you love the club and uh, how many T-shirts your mum and dad have got and teddy yeah. bears, you've got to be as big a prick, as big an arsehole as you possibly can for that very situation. So after your yeah. four-year contract with all your injuries, if you'd have earned 50, 40 grand a week, for them four years, that's 10 million pound contract just north of, right? As opposed to a two and a half million pound contract. So that's why Mm -hmm. as a player, you've got to be as big an asshole as you can, go into Derby, cause some fucking shit.
1: Can you imagine I, the absolutely. hinges on the John Parkin briefcase? They didn't need to be reinforced. <laughs> like just be
2: But you know what I mean. <laughs> like, I, like, I, can't I can't bring it well. speak about this all the time, and you know, people might think I'm a fucking asshole for it. But you never know when your career's ending ended, and you're the perfect case example where you could have be, been set up for life from being an asshole at Derby and saying, "Look, I want to go. I'm not going to play for you. Yep. Fuck you." right? whoever manager, Gregory, fuck you, you tan bastard.
4: I'm, I'm <laughs> off.
2: Tell me or I'm going to ruin everything.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And they're, they're, the, they're the moments in your life that you sort of look back and reflect. Because you go back as well. Like I I felt like I'd like earned myself at Derby and I'd earned the respect of the, the team and the, the fans and everything like that. And you think, well, you know, do they owe us some? No, they didn't. But then I remember me and Chris went into the um Ramarina to go and pick our boots up. So the club had agreed a fee. Yeah. It hadn't been obviously we hadn't agreed personal terms. And they wouldn't let us they wouldn't let us in to get our boots. Yeah. They would not let us in to get our boots. They were told the 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 guy was told if Malcolm and Chris come in to get their boots, don't give them them. Fuck I mean what? like the blood, sweat and tears I'd, I'd given for that club and I couldn't even go in. I we said, don't be absolutely ridiculous. We're coming in here. Oh, well, there's, there's, some, there's some, there's some, there's some T's to be crossed and some I's to be dotted. It's not all sorted yet. So if they come in for the stuff, don't give them it. So but, uh, we, that reinforces my point even more. I, I I'm just like, you know, when you say, oh, I love the club, that situation left us out. You know I mean? I shouldn't have been the case. You should have been, boys, you know what? Good luck. Yeah. Thanks for the, the all help. You came in here, you cost us 50 grand. Or whatever, hundred grand. Yeah, you get all, giving you old Chris. Bloody hell, he'd come through the youth. Chris was a Derby fan. Used to sit, used to stand, fucking at the baseball ground with his dad watching the. T- he was like Derby through and through. And we left like scratching our heads, getting up at the car, going up the road to Middlesbrough, thinking, "Well, what the fuck was that about?"
2: Mm. Do you
4: know what I mean? Just it's like
2: emphasizing my case mental- even more.
1: quick message for our sponsor for this episode gentlemen you know who it is who is it you tell me nord vpn nord vpn the best vpn service in the business
2: by the way my mate's getting in bother with it why he lives in spain right and he's watching like six games a weekend his missus is going absolutely oh, off a tips. we're
1: supposed to be getting away from this
2: yeah we are. we've moved out here away from it all uh, and he's watching free Three games every Saturday, three games every Sunday.
1: On his VPN, says he says he's back in the UK and can I watch it again.
2: Yeah, he's furious.
1: <sighs> so, if you don't know what VPN is, you can bounce your location from wherever you are in the world to wherever you need to be. If you want to watch a game, it's only been showing in the UK, and maybe you're you're off on your jollies in Cyprus. It's nice Cyprus, eh? Yeah, I so
2: like Cyprus. You can
1: Cyprus. Uh, you can bounce back and uh, watch the match, no problem. And and that's not the only the only advantages of no VPN.
3: It's the military, military style.
1: Military style security. security. For That's your what we like. Passwords, your bank details, anything you don't want anybody getting the grubby mitts on. You can use no VPN to secure all your information.
2: But, uh, but no, what, I, what, I, what I've told him to do is, I don't, don't keep watching your football and just get get rid of her, send her home. <laughs> uh, so I don't know, right, it's going to go down. I don't, right, it's going to transpire. <laughs> but, he's, uh, but he's saving money anyway, isn't he? so.
1: No, we've got Chris. Oh, we've always got an offer. As always, all you've got to do is follow the link in the description, an our VPN link, and get this, four months free. How many? Four months. One, two, three, four months free, and a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't like it, it's not working for you. You've got 30 days, get your money back. The link's in the description. Get yourself involved.
4: There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care.
1: And how did you fit him in the dressing room at Borough when you arrived? Yeah, well, we, t-
4: we, we, we touched on earlier. Obviously, everything that I'd been through, I think that previous six months with the time at Derby, had left me in a bit of state of anxiousness, I would say. A yeah. bit stressed, a bit like, oh, you know, things didn't happen, should have happened. Having to fit in straight away, having to go into a team and perform immediately. I suffered from my, with my mental health massively. I overthought a lot more than I should have done. Um and I started suffering from, from double vision, in all fairness. Um, driving the car, used to drive obviously to the training ground and just didn't feel myself, not at all. Like, anyway, I played a game against Everton. I think it was the second or third game I played for Middlesbrough. Fucking seeing two of the ball when I was running about. <sighs> don't feel right here at all. So I came off the pitch half time. I said, don't feel right here at all. Something's not right with me. So right, okay. So came into the training ground on the Monday still suffering from it a bit. And they sent me to get an eye test and they did me a brain scan. I was suffering from stress. And it was having that effect on you? Yeah. And yeah, anxiety, stress, depression, however you want to put it. I think I was a bit of everything coming over me. The fact that the club didn't really recognise that. And like I said, sent me for eye tests rather than going, you're all right. How are you feeling? Is this move? Is it just have a sit and talk to me? Which is probably what I needed. Fucking hell, I just ended up sort of battling my way, way through it as best I could. Did um, you have that
1: same level of confidence as when you arrived at Derby on the field? No, not really because- You, know, you the, were the, playing without
4: fear. The, the, the standard was a lot more, It was a lot better. Training was a different intensity. The McLaren round sessions were a lot. And like we go saying that I could have gone in there with the mindset of a champion, of a record signing. I went in there- affected by the move, a bit part feeling like I wasn't, wasn't going in there at the right stage. And we did, in one of the first training sessions we did, we were in the indoor hall. McLaren set us up, end of the session. Everyone, get a ball, halfway line, right? There's a 9 aside side goal at the end. Everyone, ping the ball in. As long as you get the ball in the goal on the full, you can go in for your lunch. Everyone like, Phew! I hit it, fucking hell, scuffed it. High over the bar. Do you know what? If that goal had been fucking five times aside, still wouldn't have hit it. And then it got left. There was me and McLaren left at the end. <laughs> Bear in mind, McLaren had already hit it. And I was thinking, why have you done this to me? I, you know what I mean? I was thinking to me, why have you done? Why have you put me under this? Mm. All the rest of the lads still waiting for you no, to they do on dessert. Oh. They've gone. they they're fucking gone. So do you know what I mean? Like that, giving that sort of instance about feeling a bit under pressure, a bit under stress. If we'd have done that at Derby a week ago, I'd have fucking hit it the first time. I couldn't fucking hit the goal. It's high, wide, handsome. I just felt under immense pressure straight away. But the scary Stranger. thing is, and we're, we're going to get there. it, you feel like this
3: before your injuries. You've, ever, you've had one injury hmm. mentally. The, hmm. fact,
2: the, thing, the thing that's strange about it is, is you know McLaren and McLaren knows you, you'd think that it would would sort of like, stop, what's wrong? Why can you not do
4: that when I know for a fact you can do it? Port- I don't know, it was port- like, port- like it, it was almost right? like I became think. a bit comical that I couldn't hit it, do you know what I mean? And inside I was like, oh yeah, mm. fucking, I can't. you know, but inside I was fucking cutting inside, you know, mm. that cut me deep, that. Didn't feel myself at all and, you know what I mean? You go sort of through that, that stage, like I got in the team a bit, scored a few goals, and then two games before the end of the season, that's when my injury started. I tore, I tore my groin and the last two games of the season. So feeling like that mentally, trying to adjust to the move, playing okay, getting in the team scoring, then tearing my groin. But then the club wanted me to play the last two games because we'll sort it in the summer. You know, the old famous one, we'll get it sorted in the summer. Fucking oh, I can't hardly move. Like then I, I ended up getting, it was called, I don't know if you've heard of it, Gilmore's groin. A guy down in London, I didn't had the injury named after him. So I went to see him. Um, he operated on me. Said it's one of the worst I've seen. Your groin's completely tore off the bone. I don't know how you've played. Fucking hell! i Played played the last two games. Uh, I was in agony. Fans didn't know. No one said anything. Mm. But again, you just expected to to sort of play. And again, I wasn't feeling particularly well.
1: I always wonder. You know, I'm I'm no physician by any by any stretch. Well, to the stories that we hear, how much our bodies are connected and how much mental stress plays on your physical injuries at the same time. You know, if you're, you're out of sorts, you're stressed, because how many people are in that situation and then injuries come mm. one after another?
4: I'd never yeah. had an injury at Derby either, or throughout from being six years old. So that was the first time that I'd ever had an injury or ha- had to be really treated by a, a physio. And then I was playing. So what happened is I ended up doing my own kind of pre-season away from the club, the team, but ended up playing the first few games of the season, but probably 70%. Opening game of the season, not fit. Um, We get a penalty. Job gets brought down in the box. Janino picks the ball up thinking, fucking hell, you know, I'm feeling not 100% mentally, physically not right. Janino walks over to me. There you go. You take it. Fucking hell. This can go two ways, can't it? Which way did it go? Oh, fucking missed. Van der Sar, remember, put the ball down, turn round. Van der Sar, fucking, Jesus Christ, he's fucking big unit, isn't he? <laughs> turn round, wasn't said I was on penalties before the game. Obviously, we just, I think we played a little bit off the cuff with that. And I hit it, saved it. Oh my God, that penalty affected me. I don't think mentally that I, from what I've been feeling in them previous few months that I ever recovered from that, Like, I remember Gareth Southgate was in the team and I was thinking, he's going to come and say something to me. He's missed fucking, it's Gareth, missed penalty in fucking- 96. 96. He'll come up to me. Didn't come up to me. I don't know whether he thought that just leaving me alone might be the best thing, Yeah. but fucking I needed someone to put their arm Mm. around me and say, it was all right, Mal. It's all right. Don't worry about it. The thing is, you never never
1: experienced this, had you? Because your career has been on such a trajectory from- from such. I a mean, you can see that the way never, the conversation's
4: gone um, in terms of like where, we talk, where we're going here, do you know what I mean? Where yeah. You can f- almost feel the euphoria of a, with the way that my ride went. And that, having that penalty miss at that particular stage of my, my career and where I was at. So that was in the August, first game of the season, Fulham away. We ended up losing again, 3-2. Fucking hell. Shoulders were like fuck fucking weight on them. Then in and out of the team. There was, there was a couple of glimpses in there. So I scored in the second round of, of the Carling Cup the year that Borough won it. So I scored the winning goal in, the, in extra time against Brighton in the first round for the Borough. So that was a nice bright spot, something that the Borough fans will remember me for. Uh, scored a couple of goals as well in the league. And then I ended up breaking my leg in the November 2003 uh, in, in training, which was basically the end of my football career, really. It's, that's, you know, from, from the euphoria of everything that I felt and experienced and the way that my career really should have gone from Middlesbrough. Bear in mind all these players that I played with, with England, under 21s, John Terry, Ledley King, Paul Robinson, Ashley Cole, Mm. Joe Cole, Carrick, Defoe, Crouch, where have all them gone? I snapped my leg in a training ground, fucking tackle. Fucking And and the fact that I was never the same player after that. Can you remember the the, the tackle? Yeah. Just one of them. Yeah, Uh, Uh, it was with Chris Rickett as well. You joined from my mate, my Derby? Yeah. Yeah, We mate from Derby. So we, um, it was attackers V defenders. Uh, ball got played into me from the goalkeeper. I knocked it around the corner. The ball was there to be won. You know, I'm going in there. I'm thinking I'm going to just, I know oh, in my head yeah. I'm getting there first. And Chris is coming to clear the ball. I thought, right, maybe a bit stupid because you know that you're probably going to get clattered. So I ended up just... Nicking the ball in front of him, chipping it over his leg, and he had committed to clearing the ball. Bang. Almost like poof, almost like a tree snap, the uh, branch snapping. Straight away, I know 100 percent somebody's broke the leg. And I just like I just remember that split second, think, please don't be me, please don't be me. And I looked up and looked at my shin, and I'm like, it's me. Can you believe it? And I was just like, oh fucking hell. Chris sort of looked down at his leg, realised, and then looked at mine, realised it was me. And I think any pain that Chris felt at that particular time had fucking washed away from him. Obviously I was like fucking lying there in pain, grabbing boots of, I think it, was, it was either Mendy at Zenden or whatever, and just fucking holding their boots while I was like fucking laying there, got a, a golf buggy thing type thing to come down, you know, where they carry the equipment on and stuff like that. Fucking got me on there, got me to the hospital. Obviously I came back, they plaster casted it. Um, the, they x-rayed it, but they weren't going to use that x-ray for the consultation to what they were going to do with it. Went back to the training ground, saw Chris. Chris was crying his eyes out, fucking gutted. Everyone was like fucking in a bit, bit of a shock. You know, you know, I'm sure there's been other instances of like leg breaks in training, but you know, I suppose it was just the fact that it was me and Chris as well. And, you know, I didn't hold any malice towards him. I think one thing that I do reflect on and, you know, I don't really know, I mean, I'll say to you and you, you tell me how you, how you sort of take this. Massimo Macaroni, Again, mentioning his name again, was going down too easily in matches. Italian, oh fucking hell, fucking hell, you know. So that actually, the defenders have been told purposely to go in hard on the attackers during training. Obviously, they were going in hard, but we're told. Obviously, as attackers, we weren't fucking told this. Chris only told me this afterwards. He said, "Mal, he said, I would have never fucking gone in for that tackle," mm. but we were told to fucking go in and hit the d- attackers hard. To try and toughen Macaroni up. Look, they didn't say go and fucking break someone's leg. And obviously I felt a little bit probably for Chris in that respect that, you know, he'd been left in a position where, you know, that ball maybe in a normal training session, he'd have fucking just let me get it. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And and like so I don't know what, you know, I've just told what what's your fucking instances of that?
2: I mean I don't think I don't think it's up to the coaching staff to, to say that. I think the the lads
3: or oh, the coach and manager pull macaroni into you need know, to toughen up,
4: yeah. you know. Well, there's instances, like, I think Man United had that Ronaldo, didn't they? I mean, Walter Smith, I think famously said that, like, we kicked Ronaldo in training, didn't we? So then, like, when he played the matches, he was, like, sort of match tougher. I don't know whether there was an element of that went into it a yeah. little bit. And they just wanted him to sort of experience what it was like to be kicked in training. And then, but I don't know, it just, it left me in a position where I understood, you know, there's no, honestly, there's no malice at all with Chris. I mean, we got on and we still, you know, Get on great. It's, there's no issues there at all. It just left a little bit like thinking, you know, that it little exists. bit of oh, should it have should it have really well, happened? Need, well, yeah, yeah, a little bit of that because what well, that wasn't Chris's game. Chris didn't go around fouling people no. and stuff. And I just think that maybe if they hadn't have been told that, that that my life might have been a bit different from that point onwards. But but the fact that I never got back and became the same player was. Due to other instances other than that moment. It was to do yeah. with, with with medical Collection advice.
1: Things.
3: Yeah, because I was gonna that. say when you first saw the consultant, did he say that the chances-I mean, you might make it back, but the chances are you're not gonna be the same player, or was it just no, it was oh, sim- well, you'll get you back? Brennan it was no. a simple
4: leg break. Yeah, I was thinking. It was a very, very simple break of my tibia. Yeah, the fibula wasn't broken. Yeah, I had a shin indentation because the bone had had displaced slightly. And straight away when I saw that, I think, well, it needs operating on, because it needs, needs to be put straight Long. you need pin. it needs pinning in position <clears throat> we see the consultant and he said like oh, yeah we're just going to treat it in pl- plaster casts basically no operation <sighs> fucking hell right okay so again for me green naive me what am i going to do trust the people that are around me to be fair mate i think anybody would do that trust yeah. the I I know, a consultant to be, in front of yeah. You. yeah yeah one thing that left me a little bit uneasy was saying well you know i've just treated a rugby player an amateur rugby player, and he's had the same break. And uh, we've, we've done this and this. And I was thinking, okay, but like I'm a Premier League Premier footballer. League footballer yeah. So, like, I'm not like, don't compare apples with oranges in some respects. So, anyway, so originally when I broke my leg, I was like, right, when I'm coming back, fucking, when, when are I could come back, it's 12, 16 weeks, however, whatever. Oh, yeah, we were doing well like that. So then straight away, right, full leg pass, full fucking leg pass, not bottom, full leg cast. Right up to my groin, no movement, right past me, me, me ankle. You're going to be in that for six weeks. Fucking six weeks. Oh my God. Six weeks in a full fucking leg. So six weeks in that. Yeah. Then what? Okay. Then we're going to take the full leg off. We're going to put one at the top, one at the bottom with a knee hinge. Okay. No problem. Then what are you going to do? Right. Then we're just going to have the bottom one. Okay. So three, so fucking adding up the week. I think fucking hell. One thing I was uncomfortable with, I said, Bear in mind the fucking bone's not straight. Oh yeah. Well what we do, we get a saw, yeah, we saw a little hole in the back of your plaster cast and we'll hammer some wooden wedges in the back of it. So it aligns the bone and it aligns the cast at the bottom. Oh, oh fucking hell, oh, that's not not sound like right. not
1: a shed. shed. Fucking, fucking Pinocchio. Oh.
4: That <laughs> don't sound right. So I was straight away I was thinking, nah, this don't sound right. Anyway, fucking alright, yeah, okay. That's that's what we're
2: doing what's your, what's the physio saying at this point? Is he just agreeing? Yeah, he'd not
4: experienced a leg break for like, for number and number of years. So again, I think he put it, the physio put his hands in this consultant that we were seeing. You know, there was no second opinion. There was no, well, bear in mind, fucking hell, you're going to do all this. If it don't heal straight or don't this or don't that, then, you know, you might need to get it operated on and stuff like that. So... You imagine obviously by the time already I'm fucking mentally gone really already before my injury, a little Mm. bit suffering. Mm. So straight away this injury, like can't play, can't do this, can't do that. Going through that, coming out of that. But when obviously remembering when all this is going on, like Middlesbrough, a fucking really successful, got to the final of the Carling Cup or when I'm in my leg plast, watching what I joined Middlesbrough before to be successful, be part of a winning team. Like suddenly to have to watch that while I'm injured, was pfft, mind blowing. Oh wow. Incredibly, incredibly difficult. Incredibly difficult. And I remember when they finally took this cast off my upper thigh, they took it off and I looked at it and I was like, i got no fucking muscle. It wasted away. Mm. I, I remember lifting my leg up and all I saw was like my bone and then the muscle just all soft and all squidgy, all on the side of it. Exactly the same for my calf. I was thinking, what the fuck they done to me leg here? Go through all that. Whilst I'm out, Andrew Davies, centre-half, snaps his leg in tra- in a reserve match, I think, against Blackburn Rovers, I think. So I was like, oh my God, fuck it, Dabba. Oh, He's going to have to go through all this bastard that I've just been through. Poor lad, poor lad. Anyway, next day, goes in for an operation. Bear in mind, they've obviously seen what I've been through with my leg, all these fucking plastic casts, these uh appointments that I've been through, all these wedges that I've had. Oh, that hurts. Ah, like that. You know, trying to wedge all these in. I've, I've had like probably about 15 visits here, wedging, x-ray wedge. Oh, oh, we need a bit more. Oh no, leave it on an extra week. So, obviously in the middle of the videos, I've been all through all this thinking, oh, I, I know what they would have been thinking at the time. What, what was the time stop?
3: frame? Where are you now?
4: Um, so break my leg in the November. So obviously December, January, February. Uh, so there was about three months and then Dava broke his leg, I think, in the March, I think. And you're still in shitloads of pain. I mean, yeah. So what happened with me is he went in and he had his operation the day after. Come out and he was back at the training ground the next day. And I was thinking, well, what the fucking hell? Can I have done that? I've just spent like, how many weeks? 10 weeks at home, bed rest, fucking getting bed sores in my ass because I couldn't get up and couldn't move about. Like I couldn't get a shower. How, do, how did I wash? Like my mum had to come and live with me. Like, I was, well, like, basically you, I was yeah. like a baby again. I was like a baby.
2: Mm.
4: Like a newborn baby. Like, I had to be, like, mum had to help me wash. Like, my brother had to go out and get me clothes. I was just a fucking nightmare. Like and, and, and obviously, I was in the training ground and Dava came in the next day and his crutches. All the... Oh, right. Oh. Okay. And you're still... And I'm, well, what happened with me is I came out of my uh, like, like legs and my legs were just, like, looking. They weren't the same. My calf wasn't the same. My thigh wasn't the same. Straight away, working on some weights and stuff like that. But when I started walking and putting weight through it, I was thinking... This hurts. This, this fucking, this. And it wasn't a little pain. It was a sharp pain. Is this normal? Every step. Every step. Every time I put my foot down, I felt pain. Put
1: your weight on it.
4: Oh. Yeah. So I said to Grant, I said, something's not right here. You'll always feel it. You'll always feel it. No matter what. Maybe a change in temperature in the winter. <laughs> like I was <laughs> even all this. And, oh, really? Oh, that's, oh, well, it'll go away then. It fucking didn't go away. So when, ended up like doing a little bit of a rehab fitness wise and Dava, even though he broke his leg, four or five months after me, we did our rehab together. Yeah, so- like Same sessions. Same sessions. So good, in some respects, good. Cause you I had, had someone to do other me other rehab company. with. Bounce off Dava, as you know, he's a good lad and stuff. We had a laugh. And I remember we, we we ran, I went, Dava, did your leg hurt when you put your foot down? Where you broke? No. I was like, fucking hell, mine does. What do you mean? I said- Every time I put any weight through it, it, it it hurts. No, doesn't hurt at all. So again, told them, no, no, you're all right. You're all right. I went to see Grant. I said, I'm struggling, really struggling. Right, they're gonna prescribe you some painkillers. So they prescribed me some cocodamol to take the edge off the pain. Did, I remember in the team meetings, I was fucking dizzy as fuck. Spaced <laughs> out before team meetings. You're supposed to eat them with food. So I was taking these painkillers. It was taking the uh, edge off it. Still feel it, taking the edge off it. So get back in first team contention. Still not right. Away, UEFA Cup, Banneka Strava away. I'm sub. I come on the last 10 minutes. We end up winning. James Morrison scores a goal in injury time. We draw. drew 1-1. One, one. So I played in the UEFA Cup. I'm thinking, oh, fucking played in Europe. <laughs> Great. Come back. Anyway, so the next match um, is a reserve match against um, Manchester United at the Riverside playing that, going for a block tackle. You know, it's like block tackle at the best of times. (laughs) Boom. Anyway, I came off because from that pain, suddenly it was fucking, that was a bit of a sharper pain now. Physio came off. He went, bloody hell, what a good test for your leg that was, son. A good test? Good test for your leg, that son. Anyway, I went, still fucking hurting. Bear in mind, this is probably six months, five to six months trying to get myself fit in agony. Manchester United, away at Old Trafford, first team. I'm in the squad. I was like, I can't go. Something inside of me said, don't go. I went to the physio, I said, Grant, I can't do this anymore. I cannot do this anymore. I need someone to look at me leg. Someone else to look at you. Someone leg. else. I need a second opinion on me leg. Something's not right. You know what the physio's are like? Physio's okay. job normally is to report back to the manager and go, right, he not, he's not fit for the weekend. I battered his head that much about me leg. He went, oh, you need to go and see McLaren. Me, isn't it? All right, yeah, you do. Anyway, so fucking i'd seen mclaren steve i said something's not right me leg, mate and I, I, I know you've picked me i said i need to get myself checked out i'm not right he said well he said right we'll go and get a scan of it we'll go and get a ct scan proper scan of the bone let's have a look at it and see what's going on i was like what can't the fucking physio, why can't the physio say that do you yeah. know what i mean let's like come on it's like not hard Anyway, so... Not like um, they're
2: at a, 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 a league tool club
4: where a scan's like, oh... Gosh, anyway, so... So they go off to, to Man United. I go to hospital, get a CT scan, comes in. He said, you've got a stress fracture on your leg. He went, just so him no, he said, you've not been playing and training on it, have you? I went, not been training. I said, I've played five reserve games... I've played UEFA Cup match and I've just played 80 minutes for the reserves. And I told him about that block tackle. He went, fucking hell. He said, your leg could have fucking snapped in half. I'd been playing and training the whole time with a broken leg, the whole time.
1: Okay, now.
4: It never, ever healed. So all that time I was out injured and all that time that I was muddling through the, the sessions, all that time I had a broken leg and... Do you know what? I suppose at that point, what would have been helpful for me where I was feeling was an apology. I didn't get one. I never got an apology and that hurt tremendously. And it still hurts to this day that there was never, do you know what? Sorry, got that wrong. And you know what? Getting that decision wrong affected everything. So you can imagine when I'm training and playing on a broken leg, What is? what is, and I'm limping, basically a disguised limp as such. What's all that doing to my left-hand side? Think of the stresses the and strains yeah. that's yeah. put through my left-hand it. side. So I have the operation, it needs operating on. You need a pin in there, stabilize the bone, lock it in, top and bottom with a screw. Um, and hopefully we'll have you playing in, in two months or whatever. Went in for the operation. I got back, they, they ended up doing all that. Again, worked on fitness. And do you know what? I ran and there was no pain. And it was, thank God for that. Finally, no pain there. Like I'd had a year of like agony with it. Then yeah. as I was running more and more, suddenly I got myself back into the first team. So I'd worked myself so hard and so through everything. And I played, the, he brought me back into, a, into the team and I played one game against Blackburn Rovers. And as I went down to chase the keeper, I went in and chased the keeper down, and I pushed off with my left foot. Oh, fucking hell. oh, that's fucking hurts. Straight away, I was like, every time I put my foot down, I felt a similar pain in the felt my leg. And I came off the pitch. They x-rayed it, and I would got a stress fracture in my foot.
1: Is this in, the other in my like, left foot? Sorry, this is your left leg?
4: Because i have been I'd been putting every bit of weight and stresses through my left foot. I'd developed a stress fracture in the outside of my left foot. I'd need to be operated on. So I had a pin in my foot, kept me out again for a while. I then came back from that, got into training and the the metal pin, they hadn't knocked it down. So every time I ran, the pin flicked over my um, tendon on my knee. So it caused me incredible pain when I I ran. The more I ran on it, it ended up flicking over my knee. So he x-rayed it, he said, the pin needs to come out. So they had to take the metal work out of my leg. So they took the metal work out of my leg and they took the metal work out of my foot as well, so then I was obviously metal free. So oh, fucking hell, it's incredibly difficult telling this because it's like fucking painful. Then I got myself fit again. So instead of them going, okay, right, your body's been through fucking bit, bit of shit there. Let's just relax. Let's just bring you back time. So what did they do? They fucking battered my foot. They ended up putting weight vest on me. Ended up going up and down the stairs at Rockcliffe. You know, while everyone's going up and down for the lunch, there was me on my weighted vest up and down the stairs, up and down the stairs, and weighted vest R- walking round Rockcliffe Hall, the old site, weighted vest on uh, box jumps, box steps. I fucking did that much. I refractured my foot. I ended up refracturing my foot. Purely a stress fracture is exactly that. You're putting too much stress through it. So why? Well, I, I don't know. I don't know. I trusted these guys to, to be doing the right thing for me, and and I also developed because um, my feet. I wasn't on my feet enough and my plastic cast was tight on my foot. I also developed Morton's neuroma underneath my feet, which is a, a neural problem when your, your nerves get pinched together under your feet. So when I had my uh, metal workout, I also had the nerves removed under my feet as well.
3: You know what I was thinking when you were saying before you th- the first spell out and you were going to him saying, I'm in pain. he thought you were a soft fucker. Yeah, exactly. he thought, have thought, yeah. mentally weak, exactly, soft.
4: Exactly, Brownie. And that's, that's exactly what I took from that. And I, I, I kind of had that vibe that, oh he, yeah. he doesn't fan- he, oh, he doesn't fancy going through the pain.
3: And you're going to see him before the man you games him going,
4: yeah, well, go and tell him yourself. Yeah, yeah. Do
1: you question yourself as well? Am I I'm a soft? I mean, soft here.
4: Well, I, you, nah, know, you know, you know, you know your own body, and I, and I knew yeah. exactly where I broke my leg, and I knew that that was a sharp pain. It was, it wasn't like a dull ache or something that I felt was. It would never, it never went away. Never from from the day I broke it, from 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 a couple of years later, yeah. it never, it never went away.
1: That duty occurs to listen to your, your patient, if you will, yeah. your, your, who you who you're a physio for, and so, act on it.
4: So literally, the whole of my time, I only I only was fit for the last like. Probably nine months of my Middlesbrough, but my body—I've been out of football for so long. I'd missed by this stage. I know I've almost fast-forwarding in time. There, you're talking probably three years of going through that. From then, suddenly everybody wanted me when I was kind of fit to be the same player, but my body was just not the same. I was built on speed. I, I'd lost me. I'd lost half a yard. I wasn't the same player anymore. You know, Steve McLaren left. He went to be the England manager, and then obviously Gareth Southgate took over, and. God bless Gareth obviously he just saw me as an injured player I'd spent so much time with Gareth in the physio room as well because he was he was an injured footballer as well quite a lot towards the end of his career I spent so much time rehabbing with him so he didn't really see me as a as a like a fresh signing or something he just saw me as a stigmatised injured injured player
2: have you got any grounds for a, a legal case for this or have you looked into it I don't
4: it, know or- I, I just sort of you know i went through so much shite with regards to my treatment that you know the way that my body adjusted and the, the way that my body changed and altered the gait that i used to run at you know the the, the way that my body would run the, the way that i put my feet down everything from that changed every even to this day this leg's not bigger than that leg yeah it's every everything changed for me and my body and it, it also com- com- culminated in in obviously when I did retire, um, I left Middlesbrough in the June, 2007, I f- ended up finishing my football career at Leeds and I fractured my back. And I know that that was all, that was all related. You know, the stresses and strains that I'd put on yeah. my body throughout being out injured and throughout that I'd put on being in plaster casts and everything, all the stresses and strains that I'd put on and, and I fractured my back in, in training at Leeds United, which finished me off in, 2000, in January, 2009. I just don't don't think they knew what to do with me. Honestly, I I just got that vibe that like I was an injured, I was a long-term injured player and I just don't know. They they knew that they'd made the wrong decision by not operating on me. And then it was like a dominoes effect. Like, and once it gone, it was out of hand. Like, and there was no sort of, there was no grabbing that. Once that domino's gone, you, you, you can't get it back.
1: Well, it it Sounds like you're like more of a guinea pig. It's like a, you're like a fucking patchwork quilt. We'll try a bit of this. We'll try. It that. Then, then you
4: come back from that. And the, the fans expect you to be. Mm. Oh well, he was. We signed it like, and they expect you to be, you know, the same. And you know, I've managed to to probably put this right because I know I hadn't. You know, I, I left me as anyone's. Oh, injury. Oh, injury prone. Oh, this, that, and the other. You know. Yes, I had my injuries, but like, I hopefully, when people hear this, they'll realise that from from a simple leg break in my opinion, that should have just been treated with an operation and I would have been back within three months, possibly four months. And I could have looked ahead for my whole career and had a successful time at Middlesbrough in the glory years. I missed out on all that. Mm. And I had to sit by as a passenger and and watch Viduca come in, Hasselbank, Yakuba, all these guys do what I should have been doing. And I couldn't do it. And I had to sit from the sidelines and watch, you know, uh, you know, even, even the Carling Cup, Carling Cup final. Yeah. I was in the stand with the supporters watching the game. Wasn't even part of the team. Wasn't even part of the celebrations. They had me up in the stand, you know, as an injured player, you, when you're in, you want to feel part of the team, don't you? Yeah. are yeah. just so desperate to feel part of the team. And for me not to be part of the Carling Cup squad or the experience of it, of winning something, not to be out there, to be shoved up in the crowd with the rest of the supporters. Horrible to see, you know, your teammates there on the pitch. You know, You'd I scored the extra time. I just, went to, yeah, I scored in the earlier round. So look, I'm not not pining for a medal or anything like that. No, you know, but, which I didn't get, but you know. <laughs> It would have been nice just to feel like that you were part of something, you know, be along with the team, travel along, we spend some time, go in the dressing room to be able to share the experience with the... Come on, that's not too much to ask, is it? Do you Mm. know what I mean? Rather than being up in the stand watching, having to applaud the, uh, the, the, the team. That was tough to take.
3: We've had lads on who've battled with injuries for say two, three years and when they do get back, See it as they've been given a second chance, and they can finish the see finish the the career just for the love of the game. But if I put myself in your situation, I think I'd be frustrated that I wasn't it's the a, same player. Yeah,
4: yeah, I was, you know, I was, I was bitter because I left Middlesbrough and ended up, ultimately, ended up in League One with Leeds United. But I found myself from a my Middlesbrough contract, which I was being paid a decent amount of money, as we know. Suddenly, from the June two thousand and seven. From the June 2007, from when I retired in January 2009, I had a total of five grand. I played five times for Leeds and I got a grand in appearance. That's the amount of money I earned. I couldn't get a club. No one wanted to touch me. Did you have insurance? They didn't pay out.
2: They said that I had a
4: degenerative back condition.
2: See, um, I think if I'm in your situation, I'm fucking, I'm as bitter as I come.
4: Yeah, and and that's, you can understand, people say say to me, like, and they say, "How how did you fall out of love with football? Hopefully, you know, so you've got the book coming out, read my book and you understand why I it's kind got of got mom. a little bit, little bit bitter with, with regards to football and stuff. And some of the experiences that, you know, I got my injury in 2000 and, and November, 2003, and I, I left as an injured player in January, 2009. That's a long time. Mm. That's a bloody long mm. time to be fighting yourself, your body, your head, you know awful long time when you
1: left middlesbrough cuz you you must yeah. have known that the the contract yeah. wouldn't be you wouldn't get a new contract that's right yeah where where are you at mentally are you thinking right i can i can get back
4: i can uh, go I was, again or i was i was thinking i was a premier league player in yeah. my head i never wanted to lose that like i'd left derby to be a premier league player i'd got myself fit towards the end of my time at middlesbrough um and still thought in my head, I was a Premier League player. Obviously people didn't look at me and think that. They thought that you needed to, to step down or whatever, but no one was gonna offer me a contract. That's where the problem was. Nobody wanted to offer me a contract. And then when the phone rings and they tell me that Hull City wanna take me on trial, but it, but it actually turned out that they didn't really wanna take me on trial. It was me agent trying to find a club who would fucking entertain me. You go to Hull and like I was training with the reserves and the youth team. Like Brownie, I'd be training with the youth team. I was like, my God, what's happened to me here? Like I'm sort of semi fit, although I don't feel like the same. I'm not as quick as I was. Can't really get around the pitch like I used to. My game's all about movement. I'm on trial. He doesn't really fancy us because if he did, I'd be training with the first team. There was other stuff. You have to read the book. There was millions of stuff that happened at the hall that left me in a position where I basically left. Like I needed to get out of there because, like, uh, I, I was like, yeah, yeah, there was there was a lot of things happened with with with, with Phil at Hall that left me in a position where it was it was an awful awful experience. And I ended up um, then at Leeds United with Dennis Wise, Gus Poyer were there. Dennis was really good with me, and like he said, right. We'll um, we'll do a uh, playing reserve match, contract set up, grand a week. Sorry, grand a match. And uh, he said, right, we'll sign that on the um, in the uh, afternoon. We'll play the reserve game, and then we'll get you around the first team. Brilliant. Uh, we did a crossing and finishing session on the morning. Played the ball into me. I twisted, bang, fell on the floor. Tried to get up. I went in. Physios looked at me, and I broke my back. I broke, I, I, I broke vertebrae. the vertebrae. The morning of the afternoon, I was due to sign my Leeds contract, oh, you know what I mean? And from what I'd been through, bear in mind previous things And I know, you know, maybe I did have a weakness in me, but I don't know. Maybe it was a culmination of all the time was the, the, the months and months and months I'd spent in crutches or the stresses and strains that my body was being put under because I just wasn't running like I used to before. And by that stage, I was like, is that it? Is that the end of me? And I was like, I can't, I didn't want my career to be finished with an injury. Are like, you not
1: getting paid?
4: No. Now, coming back? Have you signed a contract? No, I haven't. I've signed the contract in the afternoon. Bear in mind, it was basically, wouldn't have been worth the pay, as pay as anyway because it was pay as you play. So it's not like I was having a 50 grand a week contract there that I didn't sign. So
1: getting back from this injury then, you're not getting paid?
4: No. So every day, um, Leeds were great to me. They stood by me, like, let me go in every day Um, and I was just so desperately trying to get myself fit. i would worked so hard for months and months and months, probably about 11 months, getting myself in a position where I was fit again. Then Dennis Wise gets sacked. Gary McAllister took over. And he was very similar to Dennis. We played the game, you know, knew me, nice guy. Had a conversation. We said, "Matt, I'm quite happy to, to be in here. You know, use the facilities, get yourself fit, and we'll just take it as it as it is." I worked so hard. I got myself back training with the lads. You know, we're talking about a team, you know Beck, Jermaine Beckford. It was a good, you know, Becky O. It was that Leeds United team that was mm. like ended up get, getting promoted I think the following season, but so really, really good lads. I really enjoyed the dressing room. It was good finally that I could experience a little bit of that that I'd missed for that, for so long. Um, and then we, I played a couple of reserve games and then we played um, Northampton away in the FA Cup. And he fucking picked me like, I, I can't believe it. Me and Beckford were up front, we ended up winning 5-2. And I was like, I wasn't the same player, not at all. Like. But mentally I ticked that box, I've got fit and I'm playing again. Mm. And for me, that was probably everything that I needed. Then I played, I played uh, two more games and then Gary McAllister got sacked as well. So the two managers that wanted to give me a chance both got sacked. Um then Grayson, Simon Grayson took over. Um, and I was in a position where straight away, ooh, he didn't fancy me. Mm. What had happened to the previous two managers? You know, a new manager comes in, what does he want to do? Wants to change things. He can't just have... And for me, what was I? Very easy target. Wasn't on a contract. To pay as you play. So I caught a clock that straight away that he didn't fancy me. And I played a couple of games. I'd scored as well. So I'm immensely proud that I'd scored away at Stockport. We ended up winning 3-1. I came off the bench. I think we about half an hour to go. Uh, scored my last ever professional goal uh, for Leeds United. Which was fantastic. Celebrating in front of the leagues. These travelling fans were fucking incredible. Like, celebrating in front of them, brilliant. Um, Next game, Peterborough United at home. I turn up to the ground, puts the squad up, announces the squad. I'm not in the squad. Bear in mind, like, I'm only getting paid here. I've trained all week, been, you know, playing pretty regular, not in the squad. I went into the bar area, saw a couple of the other lads who weren't in the squad. I said, fucking hell, it's a bit harsh, isn't it? Why didn't he tell you before? Like, you probably wouldn't have come, would you? Or why didn't he tell you throughout the week? At least you would have known. He's like, got me there, <laughs> sat there in front of everyone. I'm not in the squad. So I was like, oh, and then players would go, oh, go home, just get yourself. I said, no, I'm staying. I'm staying. So I went, I said, I'm gonna go back down to the changing room. I'm gonna wish the lads the best. Anyway, so I walk, go to walk from the players lounge back to the thing and I hear Grace, I, I, like Grayson's voice, a I, I clock. And he goes. I tell you what. I don't fucking care if he's disappointed. I'm not fucking picking him. I don't. I don't fucking care um, if if he's getting paid as you play. And I was like, I just about to walk around the corner. He was like, fucking hear his voice here. And that was it. I was done. I re- I retired in that split second. That was it. Yeah, Got it in the works. car. I went home and I said, I'm retired. Done. Finish. I could not. I couldn't go anymore. i had been through so much in them last few years and so much in that last year at Leeds that I needed something to tell me that I was done. And that was a that was moment. Yeah. Come,
1: came to that being wanted again, the, the Middlesbrough thing of not really feeling
4: wanted And then actually you're in the words that you weren't I I, I heard it from a... In some respects, I'm glad I I needed... I'm not saying I'm glad. I I suppose I did need that moment in my head to say that, Malcolm, you're not the same player. You're never going to be the same player. You're not wanted. I've the stigma attached to me. Where am I going to go from here? Who's going to offer me a contract? I've left Leeds now. They don't want me. And I've gone. I've just fucking gone mentally. Gone. I just went over and I said, I'm done. I retired. And do you know what? Like retired Um, and... Um, I think Leeds put out something that said oh, Malcolm Christie has left the club by mutual consent or something and I, I put that right mind straight away I went can I just say it's not by mutual consent I've, I've left the club on my terms it's my decision to leave I think that was important you know not to leave where people thought that it was almost it was my decision yeah and I'm so glad I left on them terms that was the sort of sorry painful end of, of my football career it, it it sort of was over in a Flash, like, like, that. It's hard because you you got that little bit
3: of love from Wise and McAllister, didn't yep. you? They probably kept you clinging on. You know, maybe there's, yeah, there is one last throw of the dice. Somebody's gonna give us the belief and the chance. And then at the in the end, it was just you were just a number, weren't you, to, to to Simon Grayson? Yeah,
4: yeah, yeah. He, he didn't. So look, you know, it was it was his prerogative to do whatever he wanted. Yeah. He didn't know my story. He didn't know what I'd been through. Yeah, he might listen to this, or he might hear extracts of stuff and, and think, "Oh shit!" Well, didn't realise he went through so much fucking mental torture and whatever. But you know, he did what was right for him as a manager with his team. He, he, he didn't think I was going to be part of it, which was which was okay with him. But obviously, for me, where I what I needed was, as you said, that arm round. We're going to support you, or you know, just for him just to leave me out without saying a thing, and then to hear that—that that was it
1: the part that was relieved Yeah, driving away.
4: Yeah, 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 definitely. Big part of me that was relieved because I had no more to give. Just took so much, honestly, from breaking my back in that training session at Leeds to actually play for Leeds, took everything out of me. Everything, like, and not to get paid and to do it day in, day out, turn up at the training ground. Softens a blow a bit when you're doing it at Borough, when you're earning X amount a week, you mm. know what I mean? Like softens the blow a little bit. You're doing that when you're not getting paid a penny. But well, then order to go
1: to... through that and then hear those words, like you said, yeah, I, was, I can understand. Yeah, really, those yeah there words was a mixed emotions, a of course. Point.
4: Yeah, heartbreaking as well, but a relief that I don't know. Was, I was looking for something. Do you know what I mean? I was looking for that fucking maybe get out of jail card where I could mm. say, I'm not enjoying this anymore. And that's so hard because from <sighs> six years old, football was everything for me. And it's still, it is now I've gone sort of full circle with things and to fall out of love with football and don't associate myself with football, how I ended up my career and how I ended up so hard for me to see myself at 29 being in the position that I was with football, which was hating it. The highs that it gave me was somebody else's highs. It wasn't me. It felt like it wasn't me that did that them times that, that I'd had and the, so, the memories that with me, I'd forgot about them. that was somebody else. That was Malcolm Christie, the footballer. That suddenly wasn't Malcolm Christie who retired that had sort of held a little bit of resentment for what I'd been through. Incredibly, incredibly hard transition to make from, from falling out of love, be, losing your identity and having to reinvent yourself with the ghost of the footballer around you all the time.
1: Especially someone who seemed to be so in love with the poetry of football as well, you know, going into the club shop and buying the shirt mm. and mm. buying into it. And I was a- such
4: a massive football... And to lose that as well, like... And I lost that for probably seven years. Didn't watch football for seven years after I retired. What did you turn to
3: then? Where did you get your strength from? If you took away from football, what did you...
4: I just had to lie low and just lose that ghost of Malcolm Christie, the footballer. It took me three years, I think, to sort of do nothing with myself. Um hope that i don't get recognized in the street somewhere somebody asked me who i uh, what i'm playing for I'm, am I retired i didn't do I retired I never did a it wasn't on sky sports fucking breaking news was it mm. you know Malcolm Christie's retired from football no one't give a shit in some respects I suppose I wanted that to happen so people would know so people bumping into me in the streets would be like what are you do oh, no I'm not doing anything oh you ret- I went to that. you know yeah the same stories you're telling about your injuries you end up telling about the, the, the oh, I'm not doing anything because I never got the opportunity to say <laughs> that. So, yeah, I just lied low for a few years. you feel like
1: the book hadn't closed officially? Because you've got this little statement from, from Leeds United. And like you said, all those highs, mm. your football mm. career, everything you'd done, that rise. And had, all yes. of a sudden you'd walked away from Leeds and what, like nothing. The, there, there, was no, there was no symbolization
4: of, 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 of something ending in a new chapter. So that's why it was hard for me to... At the time, I had my uh, two young boys came along. So I became a stay-at-home dad, really. It wasn't like I was doing nothing. So I became a stay-at-home dad. But at some respects, I was like, you come to the third year and you say, I just need to get out of the house. I can't, I can't have this affect me forever. Like it's affected me throughout my football career. It's affected me now I've retired. I just can't have it. So I, I ended up in the motor industry. I don't know how, why I ended up writing a letter to everyone Round me, dealer principles, please can have a job. Simple as that. I've done it before at the supermarket, when I wrote to all the supermarkets mm-hmm. back in the day, asking for a part-time job. I did it again. Someone gave me a chance and I ended up, my career went and my life went down a different path away from football in the motor industry, working as a car salesman, um, doing fairly well with it. Didn't really enjoy what I was doing in all fairness. No, nothing will ever give you the highs of, what I achieved and the relative lows. So in some respects, it was nice to go on a little journey, which was not many bumps. I didn't love it, it wasn't my passion. Mm. Staying in it for a number of years made me reflect as my boys go older, you know, boys start asking your dad, were you a footballer once? Fucking, their dad played in the Premier League. Yeah, I was. Oh, tell me about that then. So I was a kid, my dad, you know, I love my dad immensely. My dad was a printer by trade. My dad played in the Premier League. Do you know what I mean? I'd, I'd want my dad to be proud and, and show me stuff. And and like they started kicking a ball about and I started playing football with them in the back garden. They joined a football team and that was it. The, 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 you know, that little light just flickering inside of me, taking them to training, like wanting to take training sessions, seeing them kick a ball about. And I'm like, it just took me back to that seven-year-old mm. Malcolm Christie, the normal kid who had the love for football. Forget about yeah. the fo- that side of things. But football gave me, gave me so much. I achieved my dream, a lifelong ambition of doing what I did, you know, scoring at Old Trafford and things like that. That I didn't want a bad experience for the boys, yeah. my boys growing up, to have that hanker over them as well and anchor them down yeah. and think, well, my dad doesn't talk about his football. Yeah. Why why I doesn't have... my dad talk about his football? Is he not. Why is he and my dad not proud? I'm proud of him. Why? And it's gradually going to the sessions, taking them to football, taking them to matches. God, never been to a football match. I, I, suddenly, I was going to St. James's Park, the Riverside. I went uh, to Hull City. To, I, I, I wanted to go everywhere. I wanted to mm. take them to matches. And it ignited that passion inside of me. <sighs> Realised what I wanted to do in my life moving forward, which wasn't in the car industry. It was to, to use the experiences that I've had in my life, the highs, the lows. And once the rediscovery of the football was there and I could watch it, and I could watch it easy. I could look back at myself. I visited my mum and dad. Mum and dad have have encyclopedias of me, these paper clippings that I mentioned earlier. God, I can look at them now. Mm. You know, look at the picture of when I signed for Derby and they took me back to Summerfield Supermarket. And I was putting the tin of beans on the shelf while the sun, the sun newspaper were taking a photo of me in the shelves. Like I look back and think, what the fuck was I doing? I uh, work in the dairy. Yeah, no, exactly. I remember thinking at the time, I, I didn't. I remember saying, I don't I put do the beans. I put the milk out. I don't do the beans. <laughs> so you know, looking back and the comical things and the stories and, and everything that 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 sort of brought back to me, I want to be that person again. Somewhere, an amalgamation of that person, and not be defined by that can look at it six years, six and eight, you know, 14 years. I need that man back. That man's got to come back. Mm. And, you know, through hard work, um, my wife, um, who I met in 2014, you know, go from the the pit of despair when we kind of met, which I was going through, um, to be the person that I am now. She's been by me and supported me through all of that. Um, you know, we've, we've got a son together who's four years old and, you know, maybe his journey, you know, I can, I'm trying to just help, you know, whether it's through coaching, mentoring, I don't want my story to be like, oh, you know, cause it is, my story does get quite deep and down and things like that. But I don't want, you know, people who, who sort of see my story as like, I've rediscovered my love for football. Yeah. And it's what I needed in my life for the next, well, however many years I'm on this planet. You know, I'm just, I'm glad that I've come out the other side of it, positively. It sounds like you've,
1: you've you've led that phoenix from the ashes kind of t- twice within your football career from, from Sunday league to premier league yeah. to falling out of it and seeming like you're in a place now where you there's going to be some positive aspects
4: hope, from it. I hope so. I hope so. Um, I mean, I'd love to be a, a, a coach in a professional environment again. That's my ambition and my aim. I'd like to be a manager. Um, you know, obviously, I've been out of football for a, for a number of years, but um, you know, I don't know where my journey. I mean, you, look at 19 years old. Would you just say I'll play in the Premier League in a couple of years' time? Absolutely not. So you just don't know where your journey's, You just don't know. All I, all I know is I'm focused on what I'm doing at the moment, which is which is coaching young kids in terms of you know developing their own football journeys, and if that leads to opportunities in the professional game as well, where I can you know help people and players you know with some of the experiences that i've had in my what i say my unique journey from from relative obscurity to representing you know my country and playing the premier league and stuff you know hopefully people can can relate to that in some way
2: and you've got a book out
4: yeah so yeah i mean that's been somewhat of a cathartic experience to do that you know as you've probably understood now from from my story it's been it's been important for me to tell some of the the tales of of my past that i've been able to To tell. Um, It goes deep inside of, you know, my journey and and how we've sort of experienced there. But it also touches on my sort of personal life as well, family life, which we haven't really touched on in terms of speaking here, which obviously, you know, some issues, you know, going on through there, but just follows a linear path throughout my life. You know, my life's pretty much gone full circle. Um, There hasn't been anybody that's had my journey from from never being at a professional academy or signed to a, a, a team as a kid to go straight from non-league to making their debut, professional debut in the Premier League and to represent their country as well. No one's ever done it before. So, And I don't think anyone will ever do it ever again mm-hmm. the way that mm-hmm. football no. is nowadays. So so when's like, the book out? So the book's out on the 29th of June. Um, pre-orders, obviously depending on when this... So
1: it'll be out by the time this comes out in the in when the this series. podcast so is you released. Can go and get it now.
4: So yeah, so it'll be. Yeah, go and get it. So it'll be uh, be out now, and I just hope that you know I'm not, you know, Michael Owen, David Beckham, Stephen Gerrard, Peter Crouch, all these guys that you see their autobiographies of. You know, I've had the ch- chance and opportunity to read their stories and stuff. I just hope that that mine doesn't just appeal to the. The fans and and of the clubs that I played for, you know Derby, Middlesbrough, and Leeds, but appeals to just everybody on a general level as well. I'd like to think
1: that there's definitely a still a place for you in the professional football because I think if, if if I wanted a mentor for some lads that were mm, coming 20%. back from injury at this point, I, I don't think there'd be many better
4: mentors. Well, look well that, at. That's, I spoke to the publisher about that. I said, well, there's a, this it does leave the door open for the next journey. You know, who knows yeah. in the next. 20, 25 years. It could be the reality of the dream too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's why that
1: book book never closed because there's
4: still chapters to be written. Well, who knows? Like I say, I'm glad that I've I've come, as far as I've come with the book, um, where I didn't write it at the end of my football career because I've had to go through what I've gone through to, to close that chapter of my life and the rediscovery of my love for football. So I'm so happy that the book's come out when it has and like I say, gives me the opportunity of, of exploring other avenues in my in my football journey, which hopefully will open up doors to yeah. uh, to my next career.
1: What's it called, by the way? The book? Just no, uh, I really just research. said it. Reality oh. of the
4: Dream. Oh, reality. Yeah. Sorry, I missed that. I missed that. <laughs> it's, uh, it's the Reality of Dreams, my unique journey from um, non-league to the Premier League. Go and buy it. Mm. Mm. We appreciate you coming on, yeah. mate. Yeah. Thank, Thank you very much. Really appreciate that, yeah, man. Appreciate your time.